Hello, everybody. This is Dan Maholland, and with me is my partner, Phil Zerone. Today, we're doing a Health Law Expressions podcast on the Paycheck Protection Program. Proceed with caution. Right now, it's May 4 at about 11.35 a.m. Eastern Time. The reason I'm saying that is because the rules governing the Paycheck Protection Program, like a lot of the other government assistance programs connected with the COVID-19 outbreak, uh, are a constantly moving target. And we wanted to make sure that you understood when this recording been made, because once we uh, get done and have it posted on the website, it's quite possible there'll be even more updated information about the program. So, Phil, maybe you could just describe the Paycheck Protection Program in general terms, and then we'll move into what you should do if you've received a loan from the program or are still considering for applying for a loan uh, from the program to help with payroll and other expenses that might be problematic as a result of the COVID-19 outbreak and all of the attendant government shutdowns. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Um, the program provides businesses with funds to pay for payroll costs, including benefits. That money can also be used for mortgage, interest, rent, utilities, the uh, items that are needed to keep a business going during these unusual times. The uh, funds are provided in the form of a loan that's fully forgiven if certain conditions are met after the time period elapses. Essentially, the employer has to maintain uh, or quickly rehire uh, the same-sized workforce and maintain their salary levels at the uh, end of the emergency. There was a lot of controversy about the program after it was rolled out. There were allegations that employers who didn't need the money were obtaining these loans. Professional sports franchises, large restaurant chains, and similars. So uh, allegations that banks were favoring their long-established customers. And as a result, many of them actually ended up uh, offering to repay the loan they provided. The program was pretty popular. Uh, the initial funding was for about $350 billion, and that was used up in about 14 days. So Congress passed another relief package to replenish those funds, and uh, that included another $310 billion into the program. And as of May 3rd, about uh, that was yesterday, about $175 billion of that had been used. So, meaning there's about $135 billion left uh, for these loans. So, whenever the federal government replenished the program, they didn't change the rules regarding eligibility. Those rules are still the same, but they did issue updated guidance talking about um, how they're going to be interpreting those rules and what's necessary for someone to be eligible to get a loan. So, you know, I think that's what we want to focus on now. And uh, Dan, if you wanted to walk through, you know, what are those eligibility requirements that you need to uh, certify to if you're going to request a loan? Yeah, thanks, Phil. Uh, you know, it, if you're listening to this, the likelihood is your organization has probably received a loan or you're in the process of applying for it. Still said time and money are running out in terms of the ability to get assistance through this program. When you apply for the loan through whatever bank or other lender you're using, you have to make a certification. And the certification has to say that current economic uncertainty makes the loan request necessary to support your ongoing operations. 
whenever you certify anything to the federal government, there are consequences to that. Because if the certification was not made in good faith or was made under false pretenses, then you can suffer penalties under the False Claims Act, under other civil and criminal uh, statutes that the government can use to penalize people who are taking money that they're not entitled to. That was part of what happened when Phil mentioned that some large organizations were taking money. There was a large public outcry, and the Treasury Department, which is overseeing this, even though the money is technically coming through the Small Business Administration, uh, said that they were going to be very carefully looking at who was getting money uh, under this program and whether they would need the money or not, and whether the certifications they made were made in good faith. Now, as Phil mentioned, the rules are not all that clear. In fact, there were just some interim final rules, emergency final rules that were issued when the program got started in mid-April. But the Small Business Administration has posted a frequently asked questions document on their website. And the key FAQ that we wanted to focus on here is number 31. And the question is, do businesses owned by large companies with adequate sources of liquidity to support the business's ongoing operations qualify for a PPP loan? And aside from the uh, specific certification that applicants made or will make when they apply for assistance under the Paycheck Protection Program, the Small Business Administration also said that the certification has to be made in good faith taking into account the current business activity and the organization's ability to access other sources of liquidity sufficient to support their ongoing operations in a manner that is not significantly detrimental to the business. That is another qualification that wasn't in a specific certification, that if you're saying that, in fact, you need the money, you have to be able to show, if anybody ever questioned it, that you don't have other sources of liquidity that you could tap into, such as cash, short-term investments, an open line of credit that might suggest that you could tap those first before you go into the Paycheck Protection Program. And if you're not able to certify that, then the uh, Small Business Administration has given an option to organizations to repay the loan in full which would mean that um, you'll be deemed to have made the initial certification good faith. But if you say, no, we really need it, then the key is to document why you need it to show, first of all, that the payroll estimates that were used to apply for the loan, which would have been based either on your 2019 payroll or the last 12 months, that number one, those are accurate. Number two, I think you also have to identify sources of liquidity to say, we really don't have a lot of cash in the bank, or if we do, it's pledged to something else, or perhaps we have an open line of credit, but it's not quite open because we're now in violation of our loan covenants. There are a number of things that you can do to determine, yeah, we really need the money and we can't get the money anywhere else. But if you're not able to do that, there could be problems down the road. And Phil, maybe you could just talk generally about what some of the problems are, given what uh, the government said in some informal pronouncements, mostly on shows like Squawk Box and other business-related channels. Yeah, the government has uh, first made clear that it is going to be looking at this uh, very closely. It's become quite the political issue. And so, among other things, they've said that they will be auditing all loans that are uh, larger than $2 million. Now, that on in its own is you know, significant. And 
as Dan mentioned, that means you really want to have that documentation lined up uh, if you know you're going to be audited because your loan is going to be more than $2 million. But of course, the government can also audit uh, loans that are less than $2 million. So thinking about what, you know, who might be trying to make a name for himself or herself in terms of trying to, you know, cause the government to look at your loan and, and bring it to someone's attention. So uh, those audits are one source of, uh, you know, potential risk. And the audits will lead to things like, or could lead to things like, uh, claims under the Federal False Claims Act that you submitted a request for funding to the federal government that was not accurate. The, uh, the certification you made was false because you really did have liquidity that you could tap into. Were you, you had enough money to cover expenses and you just got the loan sort of uh, you know, on top of that. And, of course, False Claims Act lawsuits entail a lot of risk. Um, you know, I think everyone in the industry realizes how much of a problem those could pose. In addition to the False Claims Act lawsuits, there are, you know, the political aspect of all of this. Would a hospital be, you know, mentioned in hearings that are held in Congress or in the local newspaper? So a lot of risks to, uh, you know, reputation that could result if the loans are, um, you know, viewed as not really necessary. And then, you know, in addition to those, uh, there could be some kind of criminal liability, perhaps, uh, based on the certification. Yeah, theoretically, if you knowingly um, submitted a claim to the government that was fraudulent, they could come under the Criminal False Claims Act, too. I think that's highly unlikely for most organizations, unless you know, they were just cooking the books to say, hey, we need some extra money that we couldn't otherwise get. But one of the things that I think you should do regardless, you know, the, the worst case scenarios are bad. But I think to protect yourselves, one thing you may want to consider is do a detailed cash flow analysis for the next six months saying, OK, if we don't get the loan or if we had to refund the loan, would we still be able to cover those payroll uh, rent, utility, and uh, other covered costs or not. And document that now. So you can say, yeah, we made it in good faith. And this is a projection we had based on the information available to us right now that led us to certify this in good faith. If you're not able to do it, then you say, well, maybe we want to pay it back. And don't forget that $2 million threshold would be taking into account the affiliation rules of the Small Business Administration. So if you have a group of related companies, they may be aggregated together for the purpose of saying, yeah, each company got less than a million, but together you got over two million, and therefore you're going to be subject to one of these audits going forward. Anybody can be audited, like Phil said, but it's a good idea to protect yourself by documenting now that you really needed the money and that you made that determination in good faith. It's going to be really hard, I think, for the government to second guess that if you're being honest with yourself and honest with them about the need. But the documentation is critical. And that's why we wanted to get this out today, May 4, because if you say, well, we're not sure whether, you know, that certification would be something that, you know, we could defend later on, you can pay the money back by Thursday and you're deemed to have made the initial certification in good faith. We're not recommending that you do that, but at least consider all the options. Finally, I was going to suggest, too, that your board ought to be involved in this and make the decision, yeah, we're going to keep the money or we're going to refund or we're not going to refund it and 
we've reviewed what management has recommended to us in terms of the need, and we concur with that. That's the way in which the board's going to carry out their fiduciary responsibility. So, Phil, anything else? You know, this is a moving target. It's extremely complicated. We just wanted to get some basic information down so that you're protecting yourself now rather than wondering six months from now why you didn't have the documentation to justify the certification that you made. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, that says it all, Dan. Really, it's just a matter of anticipating what could happen and protecting yourself right now. Well, great. Well, listen, folks, we hope this has been helpful to you and stay well and stay healthy. And uh, hopefully we'll all be back to normal before long. Thanks very much. Thank you, all.